Well, good morning and welcome. We've come to the final day of this meeting and the last morning study on the life of Asa. And uh, we have a couple of visiting preachers come up from uh, Lindale, uh, Chuck Durham and Chris Emerson, longtime friends of mine. I've known you guys for, for decades now, and I respect them for the work they do and uh, for their willingness to come and sit and listen to me uh, for a little while. But this is not a lecture, so we'll be asking them to, we'll probe their minds uh, this morning, see what they got for us. And Chris is going to lead us in prayer as we begin. Chris. Appreciate that, Chris. I want to go back to uh, 1 Kings 15 as we begin our study. Again, it's sort of, uh, as we talk about the highlights and the lowlights and the taillights, the things that were positive, the things that were negative about King Asa, and then what we can learn in retrospect from his behavior. 1 Kings 15 the story of Asa is told in about 15 verses. It, if you were just reading through the Bible and you came to 1 Kings chapter 15, you would think, well, good king, notable reign, and on you go to Jehoshaphat, his son. Well, you come to 2 Chronicles, and it's a much more extended version of the reign of King Asa. And so we've spent our time there, but I want to direct, direct your attention again to two things in the king's account. Verse 14, 
where it says, but the high places were not taken away. We talked about the high places yesterday. Uh, Those things became a snare. Those things became a distraction from the place where God had put his name in Jerusalem. And so what was acceptable at one time as a geographical place that they could worship God, ultimately his intentions were to bring them to the main sanctuary. And he says that in Numbers and Deuteronomy. So uh, those things became a snare. Asa didn't deal with that. Jehoshaphat didn't deal with that. But they became such a problem noticed by kings Hezekiah and great-grandson Josiah that they actually did something to eradicate uh, the high places. So I wanted you to notice that phrase, the heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. It's the all his days part that we're going to revisit this morning. And then in verse 19 where it says, let there be a treaty. And Asa sends to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria or the king of Aram, to help him with pesky Basha, uh, king of Israel. And, and that did happen. He did provide assistance that got Basha off Asa's back. But there's more to that story as we come to the Second Chronicles account. So let's look at where we've been as we go to Second Chronicles chapter 16. We started in chapter 14 on Monday as we talked about making faith real, making it alive as Aces was, facing a massive opposition that from the standpoint of the mere math of it wasn't going to go very well. The army of a million men came up against them. And then once they got past that obstacle through faith, Azariah the prophet comes and challenges Asa and the people to commitment, to covenant, and they reaffirm their commitment. And so I want to go through the specifics that we've looked at as we have a question about whether Asa is a good king or a bad king. You know, that's where we started all of this. A lot of the kings that were said to be good kings really stumbled toward the finish line and what we're supposed to make of that. We'll talk more about that today. Uh, So Asa's reign begins with a decade of rest. And because there was rest and not warfare, there was a lot of building and prospering. But then arrives Zerah, the Ethiopian. And then in chapter 15, Azariah the prophet comes and issues his challenge. There is a reaffirmation uh, of covenant commitment, all kinds of of sacrifices were offered. And if anyone was not going to keep the covenant, what was the penalty? The penalty was death. I mean, that's that's pretty severe. We want everybody on board, and if you don't get on board, we could put you to death. That's how serious they were about this reaffirmation. And even Hezekiah's own mother, Maacah, well, perhaps not Jezebel or Athaliah, but a rung just below, uh, Maacah had to be removed because of her idolatrous worship. And then at the end of chapter 15, again, we noted this in passing, verse 17 of Second Chronicles 15, Nevertheless, 
Asa's heart was blameless all his days. Okay, there you have it again, both in 1 Kings 15 and 2 Chronicles 15. And that's one good way to remember uh, the reign of Asa. Where is it in the Old Testament? It's 15, okay? 1 Kings 15, 2 Chronicles 15. Because sometimes you're looking, where, where's all that stuff about Asa? Uh, remember 2 Chronicles 14 through 16. And so in both places it says, Asa's heart was blameless all his days. And that leads us to chapter 16. Because in verse 19 it says, there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So, up until the last six years, things are going really well. And then the problem with Basha, or Basha, king of Israel, unfolds. And here's what we see in chapter 16. Asa, apparently, does not realize the spiritual neglect that has overtaken him. He is not ready for this opposition. I mean, you think about it for a minute. He was able, by his faith, to tackle a one-million-man army. He depends on God. And here you have little Basha to the north. We're not talking about an army of a million men. And probably not even the strength of Judah's army. Perhaps similar. Comes up against him. And instead of going to God for his deliverance, he takes one of the conventions of the day. We talked about how Abraham tried to help God promise out by using one of the conventions of the day, going into the handmaid, and that didn't work out so well. And this won't work out so well either, enlisting the help of the king of Syria. And Hezekiah makes a similar mistake by inviting Babylon down, not quite the same, but inviting Babylon down to look at the treasures that had been amassed in Jerusalem, and he was warned about the implications uh, of having done that. Uh, Not on the same level of severity as this, but still a significant failure on his part. All right, so let's read what happens here in chapter 16. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Now, I'm just going to make a quick comment here about going out and coming in. We saw that yesterday. That is a common expression in the Bible, and I told you it was a figure of speech, as it talks about that in the first part of chapter 15 as well, the going out and the coming in. We don't think much about it, but it's a form of synecdoche called merism. There will be a test on this later. Uh, I, I like figures of speech. I talk about them all the time because there's, the scriptures are replete with elliptical phrases like Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. There's a lot of misconception just about that one verse because they don't recognize it's a figure of speech. If Christ did not send Paul to baptize, then why does he then say he baptized a couple people? He's doing the very thing Christ told him not to do. But if you understand it's a figure of speech and that it's elliptical in nature, he's saying Christ did not send me merely to baptize, but to preach. And Jesus uses ellipses all the time. Not me, but the Father, right? It's not me saying it, but the Father. Well, well, he's saying it, 
But he's focusing attention on the latter part of that, that this issue's from God. And that's how those ellipses work. It de-emphasizes the first part, even though it's actually true. It says, not me, not baptize, but it actually affirms it. But he's emphasizing the second part of that. So I think all of that's very helpful to understand figures of speech, like simile, metaphor, metonymy. Metonymy is used in relation uh, to the Holy Spirit many times. It's not the Spirit's person, but the things the Spirit does, the Spirit's work that's involved. And metonymy is my favorite figure of speech because you spell it me, Tony, my. So that's, that's why it's my favorite. But figures of speech, to know what they are, is helpful. And this is a merism. And I suggested to you yesterday how it works. Actually... I learned about it studying the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because that's, it's a merism. It's not just both ends of the spectrum, good and evil, but everything there is to be known is what's the idea behind the phrase, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we use merisms all the time and don't even know it's a figure of speech. And I know you've used, you know, he, he swallowed that. How did he swallow it? Hook, line, and sinker. You know, Chuck got it. Hook, line, and sinker. Well, he swallowed the whole thing. The whole enchilada. And in marriage sermons, you, you hear merism all the time. For better or for worse. For richer or for poor. And so going out and coming in is just another example of that. Uh, it's not just when you leave the house or when you come home, but it's everything in between. And so it's just a common expression that's used. Okay, Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord. The king of Syria is not going to do this for free. And so he's got to pay him. And he says, now you've got a treaty with Basha. And so he's, he's got Basha trouble and he's got a treaty with the king of Syria to the north. So now he's got issues, pressure. And we talked about the reason why there is so much conflict in the Middle East in this time because controlling this territory was very lucrative. So he gets Asa, I mean Asa gets Ben-Hadad to break the treaty with Basha, and he comes up against Basha and conquers some cities. And so it came about when Basha heard of it that he ceased fortifying Ramah. Ramah was a threat near the Judah border, and so he stopped his work there, and so, because he, he's got this threat to the north he's got to deal with, so Asa runs up behind there with his men and steals all the stuff at Ramah and takes it home. And he shores up his own cities of Geba and Mitzvah because Basha had to leave in a hurry and left the city of Ramah and all the stuff that he had brought there exposed to be taken. Well, God's watching all this, as he always does. And sends his seer, similar to a prophet, not really sure the nature of the distinction because both spoke from God. But Hanani comes to Asa and says to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, Therefore, the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. You, you, 
could have not only had Basha, you could have had the Syrians to the north. But now he has escaped. And then the history lesson. You know, history is always a good teacher. We're not the Ethiopians and the Lubim, an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen. Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Now remember, what was David doing constantly, as we saw Sunday morning? When things were going bad, remember when Ziklag was, all of the people that were associated with David who were left in Ziklag were captured, the city was burned with fire. What did David do when they, his own people wanted to turn on him and kill him? He consulted the Lord. And through Abiathar the priest and was told, hey, go chase after him. You'll get every one of them back. David was continually inquiring of the Lord about what he should do. And here Asa is not inquiring of the Lord this time about what he should do. And then this statement in verse 9, which you may have heard before. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You want to focus on something? We need to focus on our own hearts belonging completely to God. Because that's who God strongly supports, those whose hearts are completely his. And the irony about this statement that I've quoted so many times in sermons through the years is that the whole point of it is, Asa, you're not doing that. This is the very thing you're not doing. He says, you have acted foolishly in this. There's going to be a consequence to that. And there are often consequences. It does, he didn't say, Asa, you can't be saved. It's over for you, buddy. You made one really big mistake here and you're done. No, but he said, from now on, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have wars. And much like the sin of David, he was immediately forgiven. I I love that part of the David story when Nathan comes to him and says, you're the man. And David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And the next words out of Nathan's mouth were, you're forgiven. (laughs) I mean, boom. God doles out the forgiveness, but we know the aftermath of that story, don't we? There will be a high price. There will be consequences in David's reign as a result of giving occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. So how did, how did Asa deal with that? Well, he was a spiritual man. He was blameless in all his days. And so he accepted the reproof like David did. I think one of the things we're supposed to see in this story is as much as he walked in the ways of David, at this juncture in his life, he was not like David. He did not accept Hanani the way David had accepted Nathan. You think about Nathan, he, he does, does he know? Has God told him in advance, now David's going to respond favorably? We don't know that he told him that. You have to go into the king as a prophet and say, what you're doing is sinful, it's wrong. 
And you need to repent. And a lot of times when you do that with a king, it's execution. In fact, there is historical tradition that suggests uh, the, the people of faith who were sawn in two in Hebrews chapter 11, that that's actually a reference to Isaiah in the reign of Manasseh, that they hid him in a tree. And, and instead of pulling him out of the tree and executing, they just cut the tree in half. A hollowed out tree. That's where they hid him. And that's the way they took care of Isaiah. That's the Jewish tradition anyway. And so sometimes when you go to a king with an unwelcome message, they lash out at the messenger. You know, people have always done that. You know, the preacher says something they don't like, and, and all of a sudden he's not their favorite preacher anymore. And, and then the campaign begins to get rid of them. Has that ever happened to you guys? That's actually happened to me more than once. What is it about your work, Tony? I don't know, but uh, that's happened to me twice, actually, where a, stu- a stance I took, things that I was doing, uh, caused people to try to put together a coalition to get rid of me. It never worked. Well, I guess I'm thankful for that. But I don't know why people do that. You know, if it's truth, then getting rid of me doesn't change it. You know, lashing out at Hanani does not change the truth about Asa's deeds. Now, I could, of course, be presenting something that's not truthful, then that's on me, and then maybe you do need to get rid of me. But but I'm just saying, just to lash out at the messenger, what does that really accomplish? Oh, but he wasn't done. This is what's more intriguing about the story. It says, and Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. It was like Antiochus Epiphanes. I talked about him, I believe it was yesterday, how uh, he was upset and mad about what had happened in Egypt. So he comes back through Israel and desecrates the temple because he could and just took out his wrath on Israel. And so Asa's all upset because a cedar had the audacity to come and tell him he wasn't doing right. And so he took it out on the people. You know, let's, let's deal with our own anger by causing grief for others. Some people get a thrill out of causing other people's pain. What if that ever happens in America? Hmm. Okay, and now the Acts of Asa from first to last. Behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Now the question we have to ask, because this is a question we're concerned about, was Asa saved or not? And I remember the first time I taught this in a series of three lessons, everybody wasn't in agreement. about Because it said he was blameless all his days. Well, there's something about his behavior here that wasn't good, or God would not have sent a seer to tell him that this isn't good. And so we're going to explore this just when I'm beginning to think, okay, God can be merciful in regard to Asa's action. Let's fast forward a few years later. Maybe he's learned and grown. The last thing we hear about the reign of Asa. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Oh, Oh, no. If you have a problem physically, you're not supposed to go to the doctor. Not supposed to seek the physician. Some might use the text this way. Uh, 
But this text is really saying something important about where we should first go in crisis. Oh, by the way, there was a guy who was a physician in the New Testament. Who was that? Luke, the beloved physician, Colossians 4, verse 14. And Paul even gave Timothy some medical advice, right? What was that? Take a little wine for your stomach's sake in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, I would recommend that you do something with that. Somebody said, well, what are we supposed to make of that? Look at the context of that. The word sin is all around that statement. It's almost like he throws it in as an afterthought and then goes on with his thoughts about sin. I would suggest to you that it was placed where it was for a reason. That this is something Timothy might not have done because of the excesses that some would do in regard to taking a little wine for your stomach's sake. And he says, refrain from sin, but this has a medicinal use. So he's expressing exercise care in what you're doing here, but you would not be sinning to do so for that purpose. So look at the context of that and study that a little bit further. However, now having said all of that, in regard to physical illness, in regard to anything that is troubling in our lives, may God not be the afterthought in our pursuits. You know, is the first thing we're going to do, is it going to be call the doctor or call on the Lord? And he says very specifically here, even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. Okay, so what are some takeaways? And now I want to get your input uh, for the rest of this time this morning. I've, I've let you off the hook a little bit. So what are some takeaways from the Asa story, particularly as we come to chapter 16? Be watchful of faltering faith. I said slow, unperceived progress in the wrong direction. And so I ask you Monday to be thinking about why that happens. Why is it that so many of the kings, not just Asa, Joash, who was rescued by Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada, and yet would later kill their son who's a prophet, no. Wow, what a way to repay those who saved your life from your wicked grandmother. And Isaiah, great spiritual problems toward the end of his reign. What happens? Solomon, let's start with him. I mean, here is a man of limitless wisdom who gets it really wrong. And we talked yesterday about how the high places, you know, the, the temple was constructed during the reign of Solomon, and he, he's one building high places for false gods, for his foreign wives. And they're still, that's a snare to the people. What happens to people? Why, why is aging such a big deal? And so here we have an audience of folks, I guess uh, a lot of us are over the age of uh, 40. Are you the youngest guy here? Yeah. You're 34. He, Drew can't answer this. He's not old enough. He's only 34. The rest of us, we're over 40. Somebody give me some insight. What happens here? Maybe I need 
an older preacher to give us some insight about what happens with aging. I'm going to ask Chuck. Uh, I know, I'm looking at Leon. <laughs> I've been planning that for a day. <laughs> what do you got? Okay, so some, some of it may have been his success that led to an inflated view of himself. We see him really humble in chapter 14, and that can happen over time. You just allow yourself gradually, you don't even perceive it, to get this inflated, conceited view of yourself. Remember we saw in 2 Timothy chapter 3 on Sunday, the third word I added to the pitiful pair, lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, conceited or being high-minded. You remember it, right? It was the Greek word tofu, right? That was the one. Uh, actually, it's not tofu, but that's the way I remember it. Uh, that's my Greek. That's Tony Greek. Bella? Oh, those are good thoughts. I mean, sin waxes worse or evil men and imposters proceed from bad to worse. Once you start sliding in a certain direction, you'll just keep sliding. And it'll get worse unless you make the necessary spiritual corrections. And the other thing was, Satan doesn't, oh, Satan doesn't give up. You know, he's, well, Asa had that big victory back there in the beginning, uh, 10 years into his reign. So going to have to leave him alone. Because he's a faithful warrior. That's not how this works. When, when the devil left Jesus after three serious attempts at getting him to sin, and we've, talked, we've analyzed that so much through the years, you know, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, he threw the kitchen sink at him in those series of three temptations. What does it say the devil did? He left him from henceforth till an opportune time. He wasn't done with trying to get Jesus to compromise. And he won't be done with us, especially someone who wields influence. You know, you would think Peter would have gotten it all figured out after the Lord saying, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's, that's pretty severe. You know, you look, he, you're one of his closest followers. You're one of his main men. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Well, that sort of stings a little bit. And then you denied the Lord three times. And the Lord looks and he turns, at Pete, look, turns and looks at Peter. How that must have pierced his soul. And it says he went out and he whipped, wept bitterly. Okay, so he's righted the ship. He'll never have a problem again, right? What happened? Why are you chuckling? He, he never sinned again, right? Galatians chapter 2. Uh, the matter over the Gentiles where... Johnny-come-lately apostle, the apostle Paul, who used to kill Christians, has to come up and withstand me to the face. You know what I've always wondered about Paul telling that story in Galatians chapter 2? Tell us how Peter reacted to that. I mean, Paul, here's the, here's the guy who used to kill Christians coming up and telling you that you're acting wrong, and even Barnabas is carried away with Peter's behavior. And how did he take that? How do you think he took it? 
I think what isn't said is as powerful as what could have been said. Because Peter ends up writing two epistles, continues to be an influence and leader in the church. I, I would tend to think, now in the moment, that might have been difficult. But ultimately, if not in that moment, shortly thereafter, Peter took it to heart and made the changes and no longer engaged in that kind of, of behavior toward the Gentiles. And so that says a lot about him, that he's able to accept that kind of reproof coming from the Apostle Paul. Chris? great holy leader I've been to God's people. Asa could, could rest on the laurels of how he's led God's people to worship and away from idolatry and look at the great works that I've done. And then it becomes about you. And it's never about us. When we've done all that which we've been commanded to do, finish the sentence. Yeah, still unprofitable servants. That's, that's hard for us. You know, and I, I like the story of, of that guy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I, I love telling that story. I was sitting at a preacher's luncheon and uh, was Robert Goodman. And you, Chuck knows, he, Chris knows these guys too, but Chuck's had many a meal with, with these great guys that uh, preached the gospel for many years. Brother Goodman and Brother Glenn Barnhart, some of you know know him and of course D was there and uh, Bubba Garner and we're having lunch Jerry King and I said no I'm, I'm getting ready to do a sermon on this uh, biblical character but I, I, I want to make sure I'm saying his name right and is it I think it's Onesiphorus I think that's the right way to say it I mean that's a hard one isn't it you read over that that's one of those names you just sort of skip over uh, when you're reading 2 Timothy chapter 1 not a lot said about him except that one little part to Timothy, Onesiphorus. And so we're all debating, you know, he said, well, that may be the right way to say it. And then D says, his friends called him Ani for short. And so you just start calling him Ani, that works. They make that his nickname. But it says he was not ashamed of Paul, not ashamed of his chains. And some believe, some commentators think that 
Perhaps he's under the sentence of death and will die because of his association with Paul. But whether that's true or not, it's interesting what Paul prayed for him and his house. And this is mentioned twice in the space of a couple verses. That the Lord might grant him and his house mercy. I mean, here's a guy who was risking everything to assist Paul. And we already read where there was one time where nobody stood with Paul. He was risking everything to be with Paul. And he prays, Lord, save him because of his goodness. That wasn't it. May the Lord have mercy. And I think, you know, when we've, we've preached all the sermons and sit in all the Bible studies and done our best to reach the lost, and sit across the table and help someone. Maybe, you know, how many people have you brought to the Lord? Well, I brought five people to the Lord in my lifetime. I brought 15. I brought 20. You know, what's it? What's the numbers? They don't matter. We're only doing what we ought to have done. We're all dependent on the Lord. I think there's this self-sufficiency that works its way in over time. I've, I've been a good servant for all these years. Any other factors that time presents we're gonna let young people do all the work they're the strong backs you know they'll We'll just pass it down on to them. We're going to retire. You know, I'm, I'm 58 years old. Time to, time to hang it up. I've been at this for 37 years. And it is a little bit difficult. I look at my mom and dad. They, they retired in their mid-50s after 30 years of working uh, out there in the world. So maybe, I, maybe I've worked long enough. Well, I think as long as my voice holds out, I probably need to keep doing this. If I'm helping people. You know, I, I, I don't think there's a, uh, there's a time to retire and let all the young folks do it. And I think that happens. We have a, a deacon, and the joke at home is, Thad needs more teachers. It's, I mean, every quarter, every three months, somebody gets up and says, Thad needs more teachers. It's, it's the joke. Everybody laughs every single time it happens. But really, why, why are we having to beg people to teach the Bible? You know, I... And we wear out some of the same teachers. we got some teachers, they go almost every quarter. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, we, we, need, we need volunteers. And I, I know we also need quality teaching. And not everybody has that skill. I get that. I understand that. But I'm pretty sure we have enough people to fill all the slots without having to beg people. And, and yet sometimes I think, well, I've been teaching Bible class for 20 years. I'll let, some, I'll let the young people do it. Well. Every now and then jump in at a quarter. It's just three months. Surely you can do it for 13 weeks. And, and do it once every other year or once every three years. But maybe, maybe we shouldn't be retiring. After all, we should have something as we grow older. And that's experience and wisdom. We, we have some things to share with folks. Man, I, I couldn't even offer an illustration when I first started preaching. I didn't have anything anything in the bank. And, and now i got to wonder how, we can pick here, pick here. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of things have happened through the years. So be watchful of faltering faith 
Trust in God foremost. Always. Every circumstance. Do not place your spiritual security in past achievements. And this is what Richard was mentioning. Run every part of the race well. The race isn't over until it's over. And yet it's easy to look at all the things I've done in the past. You know, I obeyed the, obeyed the gospel way back in 1983 or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, that's sort of it. I'm going to hang my hat on it. And then we, we read about a church that had left their first love. I mean, time, time wasn't working well for the Ephesians. It uh, wasn't working well in Sardis either. They had a name that they were alive, but, but they were dead. And the final observation that I would make is when the devil's henchmen and enemies threaten. And as Della pointed out, the devil never gives up. Oh, that reminds me of another sermon. Some admirable things about the devil. Some people didn't like that title. You know, and I, I took some grief about that title. But, but you know, Satan aims high. He, he goes right for the top. He went for Jesus. He went for Peter. He's coming for preachers. He's coming for elders. He's coming for you. Satan aims high, and he doesn't give up. He is persistent, dogged. He wants to destroy your soul and as many people as he can. He wants to take them to his place. And so, when enemies threaten, when the devil... Well, enemies? You mean the devil uses people? It sure does. And sometimes it's even among the Lord's people. Uh, when the devil's henchmen and enemies threaten, when life's circumstances threaten, first and foremost, turn to the Lord. Any other insights you have about what happens in the aging process or the journey of life that causes this kind of result? Uh, Drew and then Chuck. And heart issues have to be dealt with continually. You, you never get to a point where you say, well, my heart is good and it's going to stay good. If the tongue is always getting unruly, where does the tongue speak from? <laughs> I, mean, I mean the heart. So you've got to constantly be monitoring the heart, as we saw last night, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it flows the issues of life, Chuck.
Yeah, and that's one of the things I wanted to explore before we wrap this up is affluence. You know, affluence, it, it really affects us. And, and it affects kings like Asa. You know, it's, it's really easy to be distracted if you're, okay, affluence is one part of this equation. You know, it, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Wealth can be a major interference with faith. We start trusting our stuff and focusing on our stuff rather than on the spirit realm and spirit realities. And, and so he was looking at this from completely a horizontal perspective in regard to this military problem. You know, how, how are we going to address this from a horizontal perspective? And we can do the same thing even though we're not commanding armies. That our vision becomes horizontal rather than vertical. That's what affluence does. It keeps you focused on the things that you can touch that are right in front of you. And the other thing is, Asa's used to ordering folks around. Can you imagine? And that's, I think that's a lot of the problem of these kings. They're the ultimate power in their world. Boy, you talk about a corrupting thing. You know, some of us be, bemoan the fact that we can't order more people around. You know, if, if, we, if we, you just put me in charge, you know, that's what I say about road construction in Houston. I, I don't know who makes the decision to block what lane, but, but I've got to tell you, they don't always do it very wisely. And so I've always thought about road construction more than anything else. They need to let me make the decision about the flow of traffic. You know, I'd, I'd fix that problem. I'd care about the people who have to sit there for an hour, hour and a half to get through something. Chris? Okay, do it. Well, yeah, we actually raised that question shortly on, on Monday. That story is told in Second Chronicles 33, by the way, if you want to skip forward in history to Manasseh and all of his evil, and yet the humbling of his heart. With the chronicler, whoever wrote this, that's why I'm calling him the chronicler, he, he's wanting us to draw those kinds of comparisons. Asa, who ended like this, and Manasseh, who ended like this, you know, I... I don't know that I'm the one to answer the question one way or another and say that's the answer. But I'm saying Ace is in trouble. I mean, and I, I wouldn't have thought that until the last statement is made. Three years later, he's still struggling in his faith. And not only that, you lash out against a prophet you lash out against the... He throws Hanani, Hanani in prison. He lashes out against the people. He doesn't seek the Lord in his disease. There is nothing said positive, positively about the last six years of his life. But the very end of Manasseh's life, we have something very positive. He humbled himself before the Lord. And so, where am I? 
putting my money is not positive with Asa. Now, I can't say this. God, I want God to save him if God can save him. God is, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. He's, he's going to be fair. And if I, if I want him to be merciful with me, I want him to be merciful with Asa and Manasseh. Yeah, I, I've told, I don't want anybody. There have been some wicked people, serial killers uh, in the world. I, I know of one in prison who supposedly obeyed the gospel in his latter days. Could he have gone to heaven? Oh, no, I can't be in heaven with him. Look, I'll be in heaven with anybody God puts there. As long as I'm there. That's really what matters, right? My relationship with God. And I could talk about the new name that is given to those who overcome that no one knows except he who receives it. You know, I'll have a unique identity and relationship with God. And I, I want everybody, everybody that God could possibly save. Sometimes I think we act like it's, it's a good thing that these people over here who believe this, they're, they're lost, they're... they're it's a club? Are we in a club? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll let God put in the club whoever he wants in the club. Now, that doesn't, change, that doesn't change my pursuit of truth and what is right and what I'm going to espouse and what I'm going to encourage you to espouse. But at the end of the day, the eternal fellowship might be a little bigger than we think. And... You know, that goes back to the joke, they think they're the only ones here. Shh. You know, you've ever heard that one? Well, I won't go any further with that. But I don't know how this plays out in eternity, but I do know there's a message here that says, keep your ship going in the right direction. Don't make the same mistake Asa did, Chuck. Yeah, we don't know about the last moments. That was, that was year 38. We don't know about years 38 to 41. Yeah. yeah. That's a good thought. That, yeah. And that's why we can't say affirmatively this is the result. Yeah, I think sometimes we don't look at, as we talk about our journey of faith and the spiritual struggles that we encounter, the role God is playing in our transformation. You know, God is involved in this. He, he's helping us. As long as we will humble our hearts and say, I'm looking at this, I'm monitoring my heart. You know, this moment over here, I, I gossiped. I, I didn't have the right attitude. Or, or I thought a little bit too much of myself over here. I wasn't humble. I neglected prayer. You know, 
as long as we're willing to acknowledge these things, then God is going to continue to work. He knows where he's taking us. He knows how he's going to use us. When sometimes we, we, a lot of the time, we have no idea what he's doing in our transformation. He is not done with us. I, I, say, I said a couple years ago, and I've been saying it ever since, whenever, whenever it came as a thought to me, God saves us not on the basis of where we are, but where he, we're going to be. You know, he, he, he has a plan for us. Just like he had a plan for other people that, that he brought to the Lord. He, he knew what Saul of Tarsus was going to become when he was breathing threat, threats against Christians. He knows where he's taking him. He knows how he's going to use him. And, and he knows how he's going to use you. Vessels for honor. Sanctified. Useful to the master. Any other thoughts before we wrap this up? Yeah, I think influences and peers would be another thing uh, to address here with Asa and, and many others. I want to get back to one more thing before I wrap this up, and that is blameless in all his days. I think the chronicler wants us to understand something that there are some serious negatives here, but overall, overall in Asa's life, it was the worship of Jehovah only. Now, that's, that's not a problem for us so much as it was culturally, influentially in their lives. I mean, false worship was a problem that many of the kings encountered. And so what he's telling us is, now, regardless of all the problems in Asa's life, there was only one God to be served, and that was Jehovah of Israel, and he never departed from that. And so that's another positive uh, in contrast to some of the other kings who were worshiping Molech and everything else. And Baal. And the golden calf worship at Dan and Bethel. I mean, the part of the point the chronicler is making is, it was Jehovah only. If you were going to serve a god in the reign of Asa and Judah, it was Jehovah only. And if you didn't, Asa said, you're going to be put to death. That's, that was important in that culture in that time. To have a king like that. All right. Those are the thoughts. Maybe they're uh, helpful to you, something you can think about. Let's pray together as we conclude this morning. Our awesome God, as you've heard our discussion today, and as we reflect on our own hearts and lives, we want to appeal to you for your mercy. We want you to have compassion on our weaknesses, our failings of the past, and give us strength that we might not fail presently, that we'll be strong in faith and be devoted all of our days in serving you. And we know that you can bring us home safely into your presence, under your throne. And we simply ask for your strength and guidance 
that we might successfully, faithfully make the journey to you. And thank you for this time that we've had in the Word this week in this place. And be with all your servants who have come here today to hear these words in Jesus' name.